All right, guys, welcome back to Revive School. Here we are, brand new week. Kevin, I got to tell you, this is the last day of the beard. Do you remember, like, in the early days, it was like a countdown. Now you had to remind me, hey, you got to shave your beard today. (laughs) I will tell you this, praise the Lord. It's really hard to eat queso with beards. I totally get it. The Amish shave their mustache. It totally, they love Qdoba. They love queso. It's pretty clear. So anyway... Look, this is what happens. We are finishing up the major prophets today. We start into the New Testament tomorrow, Kevin. We finish up, yes, the book of Daniel today. It's been a lot. I actually didn't anticipate it to be this much. I kind of was like, oh yeah, I know about the fiery furnace, and oh yeah, I know about the writing on the wall, and oh yeah, the lion's den, but I didn't anticipate the beasts and the kingdoms. It's a lot. And in fact, Daniel had to have it interpreted almost every time. Hey, psst, I need to phone a friend. And then all of a sudden an angel shows up. And the next thing you know, he's downloading an interpretation. And the interpretation, Rich, is what, usually? It needs an interpretation. Yeah, it's more, more. It's like, please help. And so it's okay if you're like that. I mean, here's the bottom line. Daniel is in exile. 70 years. Think about this. 70 years. And uh, it, it really is... Uh, it's really unusual how much favor he's found with all these different types of kings. Nebuchadnezzar, you get into Darius, right? He, he just has these different favors. He's speaking into people. And so we're going to continue on in Daniel 11 and 12 today to wrap all this up. Look in verse 1. It says, in the first year of Darius the Mede, again, Kevin, it's always this going back, right, mentality. So nothing right now at this point is chronological. So it says, I stood up to strengthen and protect him kind of interesting. Verse two, here you see two through four. So I was reading, I said, now I'll tell you the truth. Three more kings will arise in Persia and the fourth will be far richer than the others. By the power he gains through his riches, he will stir up everyone against the kingdom of Greece. Now, Kevin, we've learned enough, haven't we already of our statue that you know that you have Babylon on top. They're going away. Then you have the Medes and the Persians. They're there, but right below the Medes and the Persians are Greece. Right. So here you have this statute. And so, OK, well, I expect I kind of expect this to happen. I expect these two to fight. Why do you expect these two to fight? Because they're going to keep getting knocked off as we go. Eventually, our one word that we have for all of Daniel, which is stone, Daniel two thirty five and Daniel two forty five alludes to this where the stone is the kingdom of God. Excuse me. I want to just say represents Jesus. Jesus has the kingdom that will last forever. He is the ultimate king of kings. These kings, gone. The king of kings, truly as the stone. And it says, you saw a stone, in verse 45, break off from the mountain without a hand touching it. And what does this stone do? It crushes the iron, the bronze. It crushes the fired clay, the silver, the gold. It says the great God has told the king what will happen in the future. This is true. And so this is kind of the process. So when I'm reading two through four in Daniel 11, I am just anticipating a domino effect. 
like as I'm studying, I'm just anticipating, oh yeah, the Medes, the Persians, this is what's going to happen. They're going to fight the Greeks. And then in this process, the fourth is going to be richer. Now in this, it says a warrior king will arise. Well, this warrior king, if you want a little fun insight, is more than likely Alexander the Great. So, okay. All right, that's fine. I get that. Then we know, right, Kevin, that this is going to start happening. That's pretty makes sense. This guy's going to start coming in. This guy's going to arise. He'll rule a vast realm and do whatever he wants. So in my studies, I think we do this when we read the word of God. I do. I think we're like, oh, I know this, right? Oh, yeah, I've got this. I'm, I'm starting to see this. But as soon as he is established, his kingdom will be broken up, divided to the four winds of heaven, but not to his descendants. It will not be the same kingdom that he ruled. Because his kingdom will be uprooted and go to others besides them. So what do you see? You start seeing the flipping up of more kingdoms. That's really what you're seeing. So in two through four, you see Persia and Greece. Okay. So this is what I did on my notes. I'm like, oh yeah, okay, this is good. I can summarize that pretty simple, pretty clean. Persia and Greece. Okay. Now when you get into verse five and really verse five through 20. Okay. And this is where it kind of, I just, I don't know. I'm trying to be as real as I can. Some things lull you to sleep. Like when you start reading North, South kingdoms, governors, commanders, and you're like, there's no names. You're like, who's who and where is he from? You know, kind of like this is the process. So, and here's the crazy thing is this, these 15 verses, they cover 200 years of war. 200 years of war, and I'm supposed to just, oh yeah, sure, this is good. And you don't even know who's in it. No, I don't even know who's fighting. It's the north and the south, right? This is kind of the mentality, but as long as I can get here, I'm good. (laughs) Because I just know, ding, 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 right? They're going to keep falling. So as I'm processing this, the king of the south is going to be powerful. The commander then is going to be powerful. There's going to be an alliance with a king and a commander. Okay, so I'm processing this. Verse 7. Okay, look at verse 7. It says, in the place of the king of the south, one from her family will rise up, come against the army, enter the fortress of the king of the north. He'll take action against them and you will see triumph. What you're going to see, okay, is basically Egypt and Syria. So you're going to have Egypt rise up from the south, correct? Then you're going to have Syria rise up from the north. And so it kind of bothered me when I was studying this. I was like, this isn't supposed to happen like this. I think it's still bothering you. Daniel 11 is supposed to just flow. I'm supposed to see some interpretations. I'm seeing the end of this. Like, this is just kind of where I'm at. So I go to verse 9. Okay, the king of the north is going to come. Syria is going to attack Egypt. Okay, verses 13 through 16. Okay, it starts getting a little bit interesting. Okay, the king of the north is going to return. Okay, and uh, strike against Egypt. Okay, so uh, Antiochus. Okay, Antiochus would be the king. He's going to come in and he's going to strike against Egypt. Now, in verse 16, okay, you're going to see the king of the north who comes against him will do whatever he wants and nobody can oppose him. He will establish himself in the beautiful land with total destruction in his hand. Now, Kevin, this beautiful land, okay, really has this mentality of uh, what? What do you think, Kevin? Where do you think this beautiful land? Anytime- I want to think of Israel. That's right. So here you have, Syria's going to do whatever he wants, and Antiochus, Antiochus has, has complete rule. Okay, so this is the imagery that you have. Now, in verse 17, Syria, okay, hang on here, here's what happens. He decides to reach an agreement. This is kind of weird, okay, a peace agreement with Egypt. Now look, 
this is just, you got to just keep following this. The south and the north. So the, the north reaches with the south. So here's what they do. They give him a, his daughter in marriage to destroy Egypt. Syria gives the daughter in marriage to destroy Egypt. But here's the problem. The wife doesn't stand with him or support him. So she doesn't do what she's supposed to do. Cleopatra actually finds favor in Egypt and doesn't spy. Okay, so some things get a little bit weird. So in all of this, now you have a radical shift in verse 18. In verse 18, it says, Then he'll turn his attention to the coasts and islands and capture many. But a commander will put an end to his taunting. Instead, he will turn his taunts against him. Now here you have... You guys, are you still with me? Now you have Rome. Rome comes in and defeats Syria. Okay, in 19, Antiochus is done. That's really what happens. He'll turn his bench, he will turn his attention back to the fortresses of his own land. He'll stumble, fall, and be no more. In other words, death done, he's over. Now, if you move to verse 20, there's going to be another one that will come and arise out of Syria, okay? This is kind of interesting. He tried to tax his people. He'll send out a tax collector for the glory of the kingdom, but within a few days he'll be shattered, though not in anger or in battle. So, uh, the taxation didn't work so well, okay? This is the process, but I'm still okay saying this is what this chapter is, Daniel 11. It's kind of refreshing to have one of these chapters, right? Just ah, some fighting here, some fighting here, nothing too significant. We've kind of already been down this path. So as you keep going, Kevin, in this process of 21 through 35, you really have Antiochus and uh, Syria, okay? This is really what you're going to begin to have uh, in this whole process, okay? So just know Antiochus. I'll just say 21 through 35. You have Antiochus. It's a different one, by the way. It's the fourth. Antiochus the fourth. Where the other ones was the third. <laughs> Thanks for clarifying that. I was really confused. Daniel 11 at the end ties unbelievably into Daniel 12. And when you begin to unfold 36 through 39, what you're going to see that I did not see until I really began to see this was the rise of the Antichrist. And so if you would, Kevin says, and the king will do whatever he wants. He'll exalt and magnify himself above every God. And he'll say outrageous things against the God of God. So he'll be successful in the time, until the time of wrath is completed. Kevin, when you see that phrase, do you remember our little timeline here? So let's just say this is our, our one week, seven years. You have three and a half years. You have three and a half years here, right? He will be the Antichrist. We'll just call him AC right here. We'll just say the Antichrist. Okay, as soon as he comes in and says, I am God in the temple. We're talking about the third temple. Okay, not necessarily the millennial temple, but there will be a temple, the third temple. And in that, he's going to say, I'm God. And at that point, wrath is going to unfold. And the scripture says this Antichrist will be successful until the time of wrath is completed. So till the end of the seven. Until the end of the seven years. I do believe that there's a spirit of Antichrist in seasons all throughout history. I believe Satan uses people to function like an Antichrist, okay, in those periods of time. So Antiochus, the fourth, could function, does that make sense, as a spirit of Antichrist in that time. But now all of a sudden, we're not talking about this, we're talking about this. <laughs> we're talking about, yes, the seven years, the one week, Remember in Daniel 9 that we heard about this. You're going to see 70 weeks come to fruition. We're already in this period of time. Now we're shifting. There's going to be a period of time of one week, seven years. 
And this Antichrist will be successful until the time of wrath is completed. Now, if you keep going in verse 37, you're going to see this rise of the Antichrist. He'll not show regard for the gods of his fathers, the God longed for by women or for any other God, because he will magnify himself above all. Now, when I was studying through this, I was like, did that did that really say that? I was walking through like this study of uh, the Antichrist. And when you look at that phrase, he does not show regard the, uh, for the God who longed for women. Does that make sense? Some people would say, and you can look at it in multiple ways, but some would say, well, okay, fine. Maybe this guy just doesn't care about being married. Some would say, though, if he doesn't have a regard for this God, maybe he was a homosexual like the Antichrist, different things of different ways of looking at this. I just wanted to highlight some of these things. He doesn't show regard for the gods of his fathers. He doesn't care about the God for the women, and nor should we, just so you know, like these are false gods, or for any other God. Why? Because he magnifies himself above all. He's constantly elevating himself. He is called the little horn. Okay, verse 38, scripture continues about the rise of the Antichrist. Instead, he will honor a God of fortresses, a God his fathers did not know with gold, silver, precious stones and riches. It continues on in verse 39. He'll deal with the strongest fortresses with the help of a foreign God. He'll greatly honor those who acknowledge him, making them rulers over many and distributing land as a reward. You know, it's not implying this, but, you know, when you see the end, when people, even with the mark of the beast, you know, you see these people honoring and recognizing the enemy. Like he says, if you recognize who I am, I'm going to bless you. <laughs> the reality is, is it's, he, has, he, he could care less about the people that follow him. All he wants to do is rise above. Okay, so now you're seeing, and I think what you have to integrate here is in 12.1, uh, we're going to come back, Kevin, to Daniel 11, but in 12.1, it says at that time, okay? I just want you to understand the rise of the Antichrist, you guys, what you can expect to understand is that we have now entered into, when this takes place, the tribulation. Because the tribulation, Kevin, equals how many years? Seven. Seven years. So if the rise of Antichrist has actually risen up, at some point, okay, at some point, he's going to sign a peace agreement. He's going to have a firm covenant that says, peace with Israel and all these other nations. And so everything looks good. But just because it looks good and it's calm, and just because, like, everything is uh, nice and orderly, it doesn't mean that you're not in the tribulation. Because the first three and a half years, Kevin, of tribulation are what? Peace. Peace. You can expect, and this is what you're going to see in verses, now I'm back, in verses 40 through 43. And I appreciate, just so you guys know, John MacArthur really spells out this little timeline here for me. Uh, Look, man, I have to process through this just like all of you guys. And it is a lot to process. Now in 40 through 43, I'm back in, I'm back in 11. You can expect, and this sure sounds like end times, wars and invasions. So at that time of the end, Kevin, that language is only used for the end times. The king of the south will engage him in battle, but the king of the north will storm against him with chariots, horsemen and many ships. He will invade countries and sweep through them like a flood. Verse 41. He will also invade the beautiful land and many will fall, but these will escape from his power. Edom, Moab and the prominent people of the Ammonites. Verse 42. He will extend his power against the countries and not even the land of Egypt will escape. Finally, in verse 43, he'll get control over the hidden treasures of gold and silver and over all of the riches of Egypt. The Libyans and Cushites, right? Push, uh, I'm sorry, Ethiopia will also be in 
submission. So here's what you see in 40 through 43. You begin to see wars and invasions. Now, I'm still reading this and saying, wow, this is a little bit more than I bargained for in chapter 11. But then when you get into 44, Kevin, verse 44 and part of verse 45, I'm still in chapter 11. Now you can say we're getting into what we would consider the battle of Armageddon. So am I mad that I had to study this? No. But when you have this mentality of what you expect and God shows up differently, you want to be prepared for it. So it says, but reports from the east and the north will terrify him and he will go out with great fury to destroy and annihilate many. It says he will pitch his royal tents between the sea and the beautiful holy mountain. So at that point, you guys, you will see a massive fight. And it says, verse 45 and on then, it says, but he will what? He will meet his end with no one to help him. The only way that he meets his end Christ comes back. Here you have the return of Christ saying, how dare you call yourself the Antichrist? <laughs> and how do we know, you guys, that we're even accurate? Because in Daniel 12, 1, it says, at that time. So here you have, I mean, probably one of the most unique pictures when it's talking about at that time, that language, you guys, of Michael the angel, right? He is coming because of, yes, the tribulation. The great prince who stands watch over your people. He'll rise up. There'll be a time of distress such as never has occurred since nations came into being until that time. But at that time, you see this language over and over again. All your people who are found written in the book will escape. You know, I, I love this imagery of Michael, the great prince. There's a couple of things that I think it helps me. I don't want to write it because of time, but John MacArthur explains a couple of things of Michael. Uh, Michael, first of all, in Daniel 10, he helps a lesser ranked angel. Do you guys remember this? Get an answer to Daniel's prayer. So in Daniel 10, he kind of is like, hey, you can do this guy. You got this. He serves as a mentor to other angels. <laughs> you know, he serves as a protector. In Daniel 12, 1, what does he do? He stands up for Israel, right, during the tribulation. He stands what and watches over the people in a time that's never experienced. And then in Jude 9, there's only one chapter in Jude 9, verse 1. If you'll go there, Kevin, this is a cool picture. Do you guys remember this fight? Michael actually has a fight, uh, the archangel, when he was disputing with the devil in a debate over Moses' body. Did not bring an abusive condemnation against him, but said, the Lord rebuke you. So Michael is like the top dog. He's an unbelievable angel. He's fighting on behalf of Israel. He's getting answers to people. He's defending the death and the dead body of Moses. And then in Revelation 12, 7, another image of Michael, the archangel, says, then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. He fought against Satan, you guys, in the heavenlies. And the dragon and his angels also fought. So it's a massive battle, you guys. So whenever you see Michael show up, you should expect a big fight. <laughs> this is kind of like bringing out the big dog, bringing out Michael. So at that time, when you see tribulation take place, Michael's coming. I just love this picture. And oh, by the way, all your people who are found, it says in verse one, who are written in the book will escape. All right. So now in verse two, I'm in Daniel. <laughs> I'm in Daniel 12, verse two. I'm only laughing because, oh, this is. Let me just read this. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake. 
some to eternal life and some to shame and eternal content. You know, you know what you can see here? You can talk about resurrection. This is talking about the resurrection of the dead in Daniel 12. You have the resurrection of the Old Testament saints. It's talked about in Isaiah 26. It's talked about in Ezekiel 37. And it's talked about in Daniel 12. Two other types of resurrections when you read this. There's the resurrection of the tribulation saints in Revelation 20. And then here's the crazy one. The resurrection of the unbelieving dead who have to stand before the Lord at the great white throne of judgment. Found in Revelation 20. There are all kinds of resurrections that will take place as we get into the end. This one that we're talking about is the resurrection of the Old Testament saints. And so just as a picture, that's in Daniel 12. Two and three. All right, let's keep going if we can, Kevin. Uh, scripture then just says, yeah, we'll keep going here. In verse three, uh, go to three for me, will you? Those who are wise will shine like the bright expanse of the heavens and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Don't, don't you guys kind of feel like we should have Gabriel here again, giving us a couple more interpretations? Because <laughs> you're like, I kind of like chapter 11 a lot better now than chapter 12. It's an interpretation of the interpretation. Man, it's unbelievable how much he unpacks, how much he unfolds. And so here's what you're going to see. Here you have these wise that they'll shine like the bright expanse of the heavens. You're going to, we're talking about, you guys, the glorious kingdom. Which, to me, is probably one of the most unique, powerful points of all of Daniel. Why? Because you go back to this stone. This stone is a representation of the kingdom of God. And so when you see in verse 3 and it says, hey, those who are wise will shine like the bright expanse of the heavens. Those who lead many to righteousness are like the stars. They're talking about the kingdom of God. This kingdom of God that will not go away. And then he says in verse 4, he says, but you, Daniel, keep these words secret and seal it into the book until the time of the end. Many will roam about and knowledge will increase. When it says seal the book until the time of the end, we're talking about the 70th week. We're talking about the tribulation. I want this book to be truly understood and released. What? When we begin to go through that time. As many will roam about, guess what? Knowledge will actually increase in tribulation. MacArthur says it this way. People will search for answers to the devastation that they're experiencing and discover increased knowledge through Daniel's preserved book, through his sealed scroll. People will then begin to get it. All I can say is this. You know, when these guys, you know, first release these prophetic pictures, Kevin, they, they saw this picture, right? <laughs> but as you got closer to time, It's kind of like the little scope got narrower and narrower and narrower. And so when we are at the time of the end and people really need help, Daniel, I really believe, will be full clarity for people. And they'll be like, this is what he's talking about. And it says, many will roam about, many will seek and many will find, many will want until this will happen. Wait until the time of the end, the 70th week, which is seven years of tribulation. So then in verse five, then I, Daniel, I looked and... Two others were standing there, one on this bank of the river and one on the other. And one of them said to the man dressed, uh, if you'll keep going here, 
one of the man, one of them said to the man dressed in linen who was above the waters of the river, how long until the end of these extraordinary things? Isn't that a great question? Who wouldn't ask this? What, when are we going to see this? When are we going to see the expanse? When are we going to see this glorious kingdom? When are we going to see the return of Christ take care of the end of the Antichrist? When are we going to see the resurrected of the Old Testament saints? How long? When do we get to see this? And I love, he says in verse 7, Then I heard the man dressed in linen, who was above the waters of the river. He raised both his hands toward heaven. And he swore by him who lives eternally that it would be for a time, times, and half a time feels like we've seen that phrase before, does it not? When the power of the holy people is shattered and all of these things will be completed. Okay, guys, so here you have this language. When we get into the final three and a half years, time, times, and half a time is three and a half years. <laughs> that's, that's what it's referencing. When we get to the final three and a half years of Daniel's 70th week, we know that the time of the trouble when the little horn, right? This little horn, the willful, the king is going to come. He's going to persecute saints. You know that. This is what's going to happen. The power of the holy people is shattered. All these things will be completed. You can expect what? This wrath that's going to take place, this tribulation that's going to take place at the end of this seven years. I heard, but I scratched my head. I didn't understand. So I asked my Lord, what will be the outcome of these things? Can you? Can you say it a little bit differently, maybe? I love Daniel that he asked this. Uh, you know, I love it. He said, I heard, but I don't understand. In verse 9, it says, Go on your way, Daniel, for the words are secret and sealed until the time of the end. That's why I love this painting. Many you guys know, didn't originally have this scroll. She added the scroll right when she thought she was finished. This is the scroll, you guys. This is the image that's sealed until the end of the time. <clears throat> In verse 10, as a result of what takes place, many will be purified, cleansed, and refined, but the wicked will act wickedly. None of the wicked will, will understand, but the wise will understand. From the time, here we go, here's some numbers. From the time the daily sacrifice is abolished <clears throat> and the abomination of desolation is set up. What does that mean? It means just exactly what it means. When we see the Antichrist, what? <clears throat> Come in, stop all the sacrifices, right? That's what he's doing. At three and a half years, he's going to stop the sacrifices and the abomination of desolation. He says, I am God. This is the Antichrist mentality. There will be 1,290 <clears throat> 1, days. Okay? So now here's what you're talking about. Uh <laughs> Uh, how do I describe this one, Lord? Show me. <clears throat> 1,290 days, Kevin, is three and a half years plus 30 days. Okay? So we know at the end, right, there's going to be uh, three and a half years, three and a half years. What we just described is 1,290 days. So it's three and a half years plus 30 days. Some people would say, I cannot confirm or deny this. <laughs> Some people would say the extra 30 days, like why 30 more days after the three and a half years would maybe be a time that would allow the judgment okay, of the living subsequent to Christ's return. Maybe it'll give 30 more days for a period of time for judgment to take place. I have no idea. But the number is here, 1,290 days. It is 30 more days in the three and a half years. Maybe there's more time than what we can figure out says in verse 12, the one who waits for and reaches 1,335 days is blessed. Well, just so you know, that's 75 more days than the three and a half years. All I know is that if you persevere 
in this period of time, Scripture says, you'll be blessed. 13 says, but as for you, Daniel, go on your way to the end. You'll rest, then rise to your destiny at the end of the days. Uh, I love this. Uh, You'll rise. There'll be a resurrection. Daniel, you finish strong. God says, I'll honor you. And until then, you keep that seal, uh, that scroll sealed because it's going to come in handy in that period of time of the tribulation. I never thought, you guys, that the book of Daniel uh, would be a roadmap to the end times. Not like I saw here this, 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 this week. All right, guys, this has been a lot. And I say thank you for plowing through with us. Thank you for allowing to see that, yes, there's dreams, yes, there's visions. But it really, when it all said and done, you guys, it's the stone. It's, yes, the Messiah that is the permanent rock, the permanent feature, correct? It's the kingdom of God that's being established. And that's what I want us to take away when we study the book of Daniel. All right, tomorrow, guess what? The beard is off and we begin in the New Testament. Looking forward to talking with you tomorrow. Thanks. Thanks.